The usual suspects were gathered at our holy happy hour Wednesday on Zoom this past week, chatting and laughing as we usually do. The hour was almost up, and I had not yet offered a holy insight, as we like to do. So I asked the group, how many of you have taken up some new practice in Advent to keep yourself mindful in this season of expectation? For the first time that hour, there was complete silence. I laughed and said, I figured as much, but then added, in your defense, I'm pretty sure you are not alone in that here at St. Luke's. Just out of curiosity, how many of you have committed to some new spiritual practice for these four weeks of Advent? Hmm. Yeah, internet's a little fuzzy today, but I don't see any hands up. Just a little bit of something? Hmm. Well, I thought not. So, my theory holds. But I am not here to berate you this morning. In fact, I promised last week that I was going to take it easy on you this Advent. No finger wagging or scolding this year. We've all had it tough enough in 2020 without the priest telling us yet again where we have fallen short. No warning to keep awake, but maybe, uh, say you might want to think about getting out of bed soon. No cry to prepare me the way of the Lord this year. But maybe, uh, how about tidying up a bit in case Jesus pops in for a visit? And this gentle reminder, set an intention and follow it through in this Advent season. It's never too late. It's only week two. But just because my message takes a little more cajoling tone this year and not scolding doesn't mean I'm not serious. We human beings, maybe we Christians especially, need reminding need encouraging again and again and again to do the things that are good for us, that help us grow in awareness, in wonder, especially if they require actual work on our part. So year in and year out, we are reminded in Lent of how we fall short. We are reminded at Easter that we are saved. We are reminded on All Saints Day that we are saints. And we are reminded at Advent to prepare ourselves to meet Christ. As the great writer Samuel Johnson once said, people need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. We know, yet still we do not do. So it is that in today's readings we hear repetition because we didn't get it right the first time. Isaiah proclaims, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Then John the Baptist, quoting Isaiah and Mark, cries, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Right there, in the first chapter of his Gospel, at the third verse, we are called to center our intentions on God. A variant of this same message is also found in Exodus and Malachi. Apparently this one really needs repeating. 
Yet year after year, you and I fail to heed the call. Even in these months of diminished activity, where some of us have too much time on our hands, if only we could tackle the tidying up of our hearts for God, the way we tackled cleaning out our garage this summer, or attacked that stack of books on our nightstand, or gobbled up the shows in our Netflix queue. The other bit of repetition in today's readings comes at the start of our first reading. Just one word. Comfort, oh comfort my people, says God. These are the first words in chapter 40 of Isaiah. Now as some of you know, the book of Isaiah was written by three sources, which we call 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Isaiah. 1st, or Proto-Isaiah, chapters 1 through 39, was written around 740 to 700 BC, and it depicts Assyria's destruction of the kingdom of Israel in the north. Because Israel rebelled against God and sinned, they meet with devastation and loss, but are still called to repentance. Second, or Deuteroisaiah, chapters 40 to 55, was written around 540 to 538 BC, when the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, were still exiled in Babylon, or were starting home after the edict of Cyrus, king of Persia, permitted their return. This section of Isaiah offers hope and dreams of a rebuilt city of Jerusalem and its holy temple. But there are still calls for repentance. And then third, or tribal Isaiah, chapters 56 to 66, was written around 538 to 530 B.C., when the people were back in Jerusalem after the exile, rejoicing in God's goodness and rebuilding the temple. This section exhorts the people to keep their covenant with God, to not rebel, but to serve and to love God. What this structure of the book of Isaiah offers us today is a narrative arc to apply to our own journey of faith, especially in this time of pandemic. As in 1st Isaiah, we have had a season of suffering and loss this year. And frankly, we have exhibited some bad behavior and not dealing with it responsibly. And so we too, like Israel, are dispersed, not to foreign lands, but to domestic prisons. But now, even as we see some of the highest rates of infection ever, hope of return from exile is manifesting in promising vaccines. So that very first word of second Isaiah that we heard this morning bears repeating for us, too. Comfort. O oh, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Having heard that word of comfort, we are now called in this Advent season to the task laid out in 3rd Isaiah. Rebuild your temple. Renew your covenant with God. Prepare you the way of the Lord. These stories from the Bible 
are not read to us each week for our entertainment, nor am I up here in the pulpit just to give you a few laughs and offer an insight or two that you can then set aside when we recite the Nicene Creed. This worship service, in Advent and in every season of the church year, calls you back to your home every week and reminds you to tidy it up. I'm not asking you to become a monk. I'm inviting you to give birth this season to a deeper iteration of your true self. Not scolding, but cajoling, with a smile, but in all seriousness. Sometimes when I'm lacking inspiration for sermon writing, I listen to music. Often, songs will show up out of nowhere, bubbling to the surface or appearing on a random shuffle on my Spotify account, and the songs will say, hey, play me. This week, three show up. I want to share them with you, perhaps as a sort of pseudo-Isaiah parallel and a set of messages for the narrative arc of your faith. The first is by Eddie Lou Harris. It's called, Where Will I Be? Written in 1995. In it, she sings of life in all its mundaneness, but also in its poignancy, and she wonders what will be going on in her day-to-day life when apocalypse arrives. How will she meet from a place of routineness? The question implicit in the song, Where Will I Be? is, will I be prepared for it? It's a question for us, especially in this season of waiting. Here are a few lyrics. The streets are cracked and there's glass everywhere and the baby stares out with motherless eyes. Under long-gone beauty, on fields of war, trapped in lament to the poet's core, oh, where, oh, where will I be? Oh, where? when that trumpet sounds. The second song is by Greg Brown, a folk singer. It's called, Lord, I Have Made You a Place in My Heart, written in 1994. In it, he admits to a longing for God's presence in his life, but also to an even stronger unwillingness to let God in. The man in the song invites God into his heart the way we might invite someone into our home when it's a mess, when we'd rather be left alone, even though we are lonely and stuck. The song implicitly asks us, why do you want, why do you profess to want God in your life, yet do little to welcome God in? Not that God doesn't love us unconditionally already, mess and all. But it's a covenant, and that means there are two sides to the agreement to fulfill. Here are a few of these lyrics. O Lord, I have made you a place in my heart, among the rags and the bones and the dirt. There's piles of lies, and the love gone from her eyes, and old moving boxes full of hurt. Pull up a chair by the trouble and care. I got whiskey. You're welcome to some. O Lord, I have made you a place in my heart, but I don't reckon you are going to come. 
The third song was written by a man named Blaze Foley, one of those songwriters who died tragically, violently, whose life was much like that of Ray Brown's character we just heard from. This song is called Clay Pigeons, written in 1989, the year he was killed. What's heartbreaking is that the lyrics express a longing to get past his demons and live more truly. I discovered the song through a cover version by John Prine, the legendary songwriter who died this year from COVID. There is a theological message implicit in the lyrics, conveyed by the Greek word metanoia, which means a change of mind, or as it's used in today's gospel reading, baptisma metanoias eis opesin hamartion, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist offers this repentance to those who come seeking they know not what at the River Jordan. The season of Advent invites us to do the same metanoia, change of mind. But, like baptism, we must not only submerge ourselves, admitting our faults and where we miss the mark. We must also emerge, committing to new life, with intention and action to prove it. Here are a few lyrics. I'm going down to the Greyhound station, gonna get a ticket to ride. I'm gonna find that lady with two or three kids and sit down by her side. Ride till the sun comes up and down around me about two or three times. Smoking cigarettes in the last seat. Try to hide my sorrow from the people I meet and get along with it all. Go where the people say, y'all. Sing a song with a friend. Change the shape that I'm in and get back in the game and start playing again. We are all basically good people. So maybe when we hear a sermon that exhorts or cajoles us to improve our relationship with God and one another, we think that such advice is for other people. Those who aren't so good, whose life is a mess, who don't have it all together, whose retirement finances aren't in order and who don't pledge to their church. So we tune out the message from the pulpit. We hear the lyrics and then go about our business. But like houses, hearts need regular tidying up. The true message of Advent for those who are already trying to be good is not just be better. It is admit, commit, and submit. It is, be holy.